Well, uh, Jan was going to read the Bible this morning. Uh, she's not able to come. So unless someone is really wanting to get up and do it on the fly, anyone, any takers? Michael, it's all yours. Thank you. Uh, we might just read the genealogy of uh, the first six pages of the Bible, shall we? No, we're going to read Genesis 16. Yeah, the whole chapter. So good luck. <laughs> so it's Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Agar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who, you are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lehi Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Agar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. I don't know what I was letting myself in for by volunteering to read that, but there.
Sorry, I'm doing a few things this morning. Uh, thank you, Michael. Uh, round of applause. Uh, thank you, Michael, for getting up and reading the Bible. There you go. <laughs> I knew you'd love that. Well, let me pray, and, uh, and I will have a look at this passage. Father God, uh, we do thank you that uh, as we come into this passage, uh, we know that this is an inspired word of yours. Uh, Lord, we do... Uh, thank you that we can come confidently uh, with a message uh, about to be received uh, by us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will convict our hearts, that we will see clearly, and that what is spoken will be faithful to your word. So, Father, bless us now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look at that. <clears throat> I've forgotten to bring everything up here, so I need to go down to my office. I'll be back, Okay.
What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and super. Oh, what privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we friends and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? All our sorrows share. Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a Lord of care? Precious Savior, still a refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Thy friends despise for sake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms you take and shield you. Thou will find a solace there. This morning in Genesis 16, we come to uh, a text in which Abram's wife Sarai has become tired of waiting. Waiting is difficult, isn't it? (laughs) You expected me to return straight away. I never promised that. You started wondering if I was ever coming back. (laughs) Even though I specifically stated I will be back. You had expectations and I didn't meet your expectations, which is generally my life as a pastor. How did that make you feel? Frustrated? Angry? Confused? Oh, come on. (laughs) You know, lying's a sin. (laughs) Worried? Oh, thank you. See, some of you started to thinking of taking things into your own hands. (laughs) Should we check to see if he's okay? I've even written here, should we sing a hymn? I knew exactly what was going to happen with you leading. 
So what should we do with the live stream? And I'm sorry for those at home, but I couldn't do anything about you. What should we do with the awkwardness of the situation? See, waiting is difficult, isn't it? But waiting on the Lord, sometimes for years, is extremely hard. And that is what we encounter this morning as we enter into Genesis 16. See, in Genesis 15, God promised Abram he will have a son from his own flesh, his own body. And by the time we come to chapter 16, we are told in verse 3 that Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years since those promises. So by the end of chapter, the chapter, probably 10 months or so after the beginning, we're then told Abram is 86 years old. And the chapter simply begins with this statement. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. See, this is a very real personal struggle for Sarai. This isn't just about God taking 10 years to fulfil his promise. This is a lifetime for Sarai of not being able to bear a child. And in that culture, not bearing a child was an absolute disgrace for a wife. She'd been waiting for God's blessing all those years and nothing. And then Abram comes home one day and says, the Lord has revealed to me that we are going to have a child from our flesh. He has even made a covenant. And then there's another 10 years, another 10 years, laying together, trying, but nothing. Now, I want you to have some, and I want all of us to have some compassion here for Sarai. This is a tough journey. I really feel for her, but not just for Sarai, for Abram as well. He hadn't taken another wife. He had journeyed this with her, a lifetime of waiting patiently for an heir. But Sarai here has had enough. I would even say she's bitter, she's angry. And just as we do when, we take, when things are taking too long, we take matters into our own hands, don't we? Have a look at what uh, the second part of uh, chapter, uh, verse 1 says. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now I want you to notice this recurring theme that I keep bringing up uh, in, in Genesis. And it's been going on since Genesis 11. And it's about humanity taking things into their own hands. At the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, we're told that they, the humanity gets together and says, come, let us build ourselves a city. They take the place of God, and in the end, the nations are scattered. Abram in chapter 12, when they go to Egypt, uh, he takes matters into his own hands and says to Sarai that, Uh, that we will call you my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. 
Well, they discover the lie, they cast him out of Egypt. Then Lot in chapter 13, if you remember, when given the choice of land by Abram, doesn't inquire of the Lord at all. But we're told Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan. He walks right into a military and political storm, almost loses everything and his life except for the grace of God uh, saving him through Abram. But now in chapter 16, we have Sarai taking matters into her own hands, giving Abram her servant to sleep with and saying, perhaps I can build a family through her. See, the inference of all these moments is that God has been unable to do these things, that he's untrustworthy. See, that's the core problem with sin. We take matters into our own hands. We don't trust God will fulfill his promises. And even though I feel a great deal of compassion for Sarai in this instance, when it comes down to it, she has rejected God. But not just her, Abram agreed with her suggestion. It literally says here, he obeyed Sarai's voice. See, he replaced the authority of God's voice and even the covenant with another human's voice. He replaced it with his wife's commands. It's exactly the same uh, statement that we are given back in Genesis 3 when Adam obeyed Eve. He obeyed her voice. See, it's replacing God's authority with an authority of human origin. And in this instance, they would build descendants themselves outside of God. Now, there is a cultural background here, obviously, and female slaves were the possession of the wife. And if shame had come upon the wife, it wasn't unusual for the slave to be given to the husband in order to build a family. So there's a cultural precedent here. But by doing this, two things happened in the culture for that slave. The slave is elevated to being called a wife. So she's no longer a slave she becomes a wife because the husband has slept with her. And secondly, um, they no longer uh, become the property of the, the, the wife because they've been elevated. Now they are under the authority of the husband in that culture. And Hagar, who was probably a teenager, has now been elevated to the same status as Sarai in this instance. So technically, Sarai no longer had uh, any authority over her. And so when Hagar becomes pregnant and conceives, well, she knew, when she knew she was pregnant, verse 4 tells us she began to despise Sarai. This is the first love triangle in the Bible. And the idea here of despise is actually more of look on uh, Sarai with contempt. See, Sarai had been cursed by God. Sarai couldn't bear children. Abram sleeps with Hagar and she conceives immediately. So Hagar looks at herself, her new self-importance. Obviously, God is blessing her and not blessing Sarai. So she looks down on Sarai and she began to express this. And Sarai couldn't do anything about it. It was now up to Abram to deal with his new wife. 
she wasn't Sarai's property. So in verse 5, uh, we're told this. Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. And I heard every husband snigger at that when that was read. Hey, you know exactly why. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. See how quickly we are to transfer blame for the wrong decisions we make. It's one of the certain effects of sin in our life, avoiding responsibility and blaming others. I have this almost every day with my boys. I could list hundreds of things that happened over the last two days, you know, where everything from uh, why is there juice all over the couch? Oh, he spilt it, but you made me laugh. It just goes on and on and on. Why are there rice bubbles everywhere over my floor? He kicked it over. Yeah, but you pushed me. It just, it's just constant. And don't think it's uh, just kids. It's adults. I was a manager uh, of quite a number of people. Uh, I'm not going to use examples from the church, but in my previous day, which I probably could, in my previous day... I was a manager in financial markets. And whenever something went wrong or people didn't do what they had, were meant to do or promised to do, it was always like, oh, yeah, but... There was always an excuse. There was always the avoidance of responsibility. See, in Genesis 3, after having taken the fruit and the rebellion to God, Adam immediately said when confronted to God uh, by God, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. It's your fault, God. You made her. You put her here and now she's kind of made me do this. It's your fault. And now Sarai, who has instigated the whole situation of Abram sleeping with Hagar, is pointing the finger at Abram. Yes, but you made her pregnant. I just gave it to you. It's your fault. And in a sense, she's saying, and it's God's fault. Well, he left me barren. That's why I did it. See, living in God's grace means we don't have to do that. We can confess and come to God for forgiveness. But true to form, in verse 6, Abram also avoids his new responsibility for his new wife that he has chosen to sleep with and assume responsibility for her. Instead of showing leadership and dealing with it, he seems to hand Hagar back to Sarai with absolute no concern about the welfare of Hagar at all. Sarah is, Sarai is angry. She's bitter. She's been mistreated by Hagar. If you hand that person back into her authority, what do you think is going to happen? But Abram's like, do with her whatever you think best. What he's actually doing is he's handing authority back to his wife and she can be his, uh, her slave again. That is handing over responsibility. That is avoiding your own responsibility. So Abram is doing exactly the same thing. It's getting out of control. And all this because Sarai and Abram took matters into their own hands. 
Notice not once in this passage has Abram inquired of the Lord. In stark contrast to 10 years ago, when it resulted in a covenant, when it resulted in, uh, in, in promises, 10 years later, he hasn't even gone to the Lord to inquire of the Lord about this problem. He hasn't even gone, it's been 10 years, Lord, am I still to believe No, he just agrees with his wife. See, we have to be on our guard as people who have been in the Lord for a long time. We get on with running a church, building programs, even we've got building programs that are happening, you know, creating uh, new initiatives. And we do it because we think a church is meant to look like a church is meant to look. We do it because we've just got to keep the church running and all these kind of things. Particularly after five years ago, we went through a tough time, so we've got to rebuild. We've just got to be on our guard. Now, we've got lots happening in the church. We do have a building program that's starting to find some momentum that many of you will hear about uh, over the coming month or so. We do have new programs, we do have initiatives, we do have ideas, we've got a new service and things like that. Now I believe we've been doing that prayerfully and we've been doing it relatively slowly. The whole building team was created before I even got here. But we have to be on our guard. You see, because our, our first in, intuition is to take things into our own hands, to just do things without inquiring of the Lord. But it's personally as well, changing jobs, moving locations, retiring, buying homes, committing our time, our finances. Are we worshipping reason because that makes most sense? Or are we coming to the Lord and saying, please guide me, Lord, with all these things? Well, verse 6 tells us, not surprisingly, Sarai mistreats Hagar. And Hagar flees from her. To flee from your mistress was almost certain death. In this instance, she was running into the desert. She's fled the hand that actually was feeding her. But not only this, Hagar was pregnant. I've got an inkling that that's why she fled. She probably was worried that what Sarai was doing to her probably caused uh, possible abortion, effectively. That she would have lost the child. And so she's fled So the contrast here, however, with the first six verses of how they have been dealing with Hagar is now how God deals with Hagar. So you couldn't get a greater contrast. Here is Abram, the called father of all descendants of God's people, saying, ah, do with her whatever you want. Effectively, she's just a slave girl. Whatever happens, what does it matter? couldn't care less so she's fled but then we have the lord enter the picture the only time we've uh, we've heard his name is when uh is when is when sarai says to abram oh well may the lord judge between you and me very flippant but here the lord appears through his angel to hagar And he does not discard her. 
because the law doesn't view us in terms of our status in society, in terms of our gender, in terms of whether we're a servant or whether we're a master, whether we have great wealth, whether whatever. The Lord views us as in his image, first and foremost. Well, the Lord, angel of the Lord finds Hagar near a spring. And uh, where have you come from? Where are you going? The angel asks in verse 8. Hagar tells the angel that she's running away from Sarai. She doesn't answer where she's going, but her location indicates she's probably fleeing back to her homeland, but she's got no way of knowing that she'll ever get there. She's expecting to die, no doubt. She's got no plan, but the angel counsels her to go back to Sarai and submit to her. But in a great expression of grace, in verse 10, the angel of the Lord makes a promise to this slave girl who is the lowest of the low in this story on the same, on the same level as what she's really made to Abram back in Genesis 15. She says, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now, if that is not a God of grace and a God of love, then I do not know what is. See, God is cleaning up the mess of our sin. God is cleaning up the mess of Abram and Sarai's sin. He still has a heart for the world. And we go into the world and we cause all this destruction at times, be it the environment, be it whatever it is but particularly around people. I think my biggest challenge is driving in Sydney. Like it's in everything. You are not coming into my lane. You just flew up the inside of me. I've got the dotted lines. I deserve it. I'm going to accelerate. Next thing you know, there's rage. And you're going, who am I? And who knows what ramifications that could have. But God is there and God understands it. He knows and he does clean up our sin. But it doesn't mean that there's not consequences of our sin. See, the consequences are that there is another nation that's going to be uh, built. See, verse 11 says to hey, uh, you're not going to lose the baby. It's okay, go back. And in some respects, where he says he will be a wild donkey of a man, call him Ishmael. Now we think of that image and we go, wild donkey, ah, oh, yeah, okay. But when you think of this girl being a slave, well, this wild donkey of a man isn't going to be under the authority of anyone. He's going to be out in the wilderness. That may have been a great encouragement to her. He's going to be able to fend for himself. And his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility towards his brothers. So I wonder whether Hagar, who felt helpless and alone under the authority of these two people, somehow that may have been quite comforting to her. This is going to be a son who fights for himself, who is going to stand up and not be bullied, 
But we do know that uh, Ishmael certainly did have hostility towards his brothers. Remember, he was a half-brother of all of uh, the descendants of Israel in the end. And in Genesis 25, 12 to 18, we have the genealogy of Ishmael's line. And we are told at the end of that, Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher. And they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. See, but there's hostility and disagreement. Now, this continues today. Islam trace their roots back to Ishmael. Islam have said effectively that Christians never really, uh, never really obeyed the teaching of Jesus. They see Jesus as a, uh, as a good teacher, not as the son of God, not as divine. And so even today, they've said, well, God has now handed over his kingdom to Ishmael's line. And that's the authority they claim. And that's why in the Middle East, uh, that's why in Jerusalem, there is quarters between the Gentiles and the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims. Because all of them make claim in some way back to here. See, the ripple effect of this sin is still being felt today. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not in God's sovereign hand, but there are consequences when we take matters into our own hands. And that is in all these things. When we sin, there is consequences. And Romans talks about there is judgment upon the earth for our sin in our day not just the judgment to come. There are real consequences. Look at the ravages of sexual sin all around the world. The diseases and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the I guess, the, the, the family dynamics and everything that's gone on. See, there is real ramifications, and it is. It's that pebble that gets put into the pond and it just ripples out. Or that butterfly effect, the... The, the butterfly's wings having an effect. Well, after God giving the name of Ishmael, it means God hears. Hagar then names the spring by which she has been found and she calls it Lahai Roy, meaning well of the living one who sees me. You see, this passage is not about Sarai. This passage is not about Hagar. This passage isn't about Hagar and Ishmael, as the heading says. This passage is about the God who sees and the God who hears. See, Hagar expected no one to care about her. She was discarded. She was a servant girl. She was hoping probably to get back to her people, but that was highly unlikely. But the one who leaves the 99 to find the one sees and hears. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you've been discarded. Maybe you've been treated terribly in your life. Well, let me encourage you. God sees and he hears. He doesn't see your outward appearance. 
He doesn't see your, uh, your ability to please him. He doesn't see anything, but he sees you. And for those of us who know the Lord Jesus, we understand that he doesn't just see us, he loves us and he has given his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we can have our sin forgiven. See, Abram's sin has been forgiven. Sarai's sin has been forgiven. Hagar's sin, I believe, has been forgiven as she accepts the promises of God and believes that. Now you might say, well, she's the mother of Islam. Well, I don't think that's the point here. Islam have claimed that. That's not what's going on. She has shown great faith in the God who sees and hears. And that is what we are to do. Put our trust in the God who sees and hears, no matter what your circumstances. Because when we don't do that, when we take matters into our own hands, well, we see the consequences of that. And I think the Christian church and the Christian world are living all that out. We are living that out in our life. And it's inherently in us to take matters into our own hands. Christ says, I am returning. I am coming back. You don't have to fill the void with hymns. Well, you do have to, you do have to sing hymns, but you know what I mean. We go, oh, he's taken a while. Maybe he's forgotten about us. Okay, we'll just, um, we'll just make up some more church programs. We'll just make it look like we're busy. Maybe we can please him more. No, he says, I'm coming back. Trust in that. And he also says that when you go to be with him in your final days, that he will be with you, that he will sow you perishable and he will raise you imperishable. He will sow you with all your sin and sow you into the ground with all your troubles, with all your pain, with all your suffering, and he will raise you up again. And wipe every tear from your eye. So don't give up waiting for him. Yes, we have a work to do. Yes, we are to proclaim the gospel. But sitting and knowing and being still because he is God is a great, important journey that we are part of. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. We have to take them into his hands prayerfully and with great courage and when we hear his voice, we obey. And may I say, we trust and obey. For there's no other way. Because we're about to sing that. Let me just read you the, the first few verses of uh, Psalm 40. It's funny, like over the week, I've been racking my brain trying to find the hymn that I know from this psalm. And I was going to give it to, uh, but I couldn't find it anywhere. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord 
and put their trust in him. And I was trying to find what a great hymn. I waited patiently for the Lord. Well, it turns out it's a U2 song. (laughs) And it's called 40. And before I was a Christian, I used to, I've told you this before, I used to be a U2 cover band groupie all around Sydney. Every weekend we would go and find them and we would drink too much before Christianity. I'm a good man now, apparently. But we would sing this song and I didn't even know anything about it. But at the end of the night, when they had finished, this is what we used to do to get them out for the encore. How long to sing this song. This is the refrain that you two have put. And we would sing how long to sing this song and it would just keep going till they come back out. And in a sense, that is what we need to do is we come to the Lord and we make how long, O Lord? How long do we have to sing this song? But it comes back to this, I waited patiently for the Lord. And yes, we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. But how long, Lord, to sing this song? Well, he says, I am returning. Don't take matters into your own hands. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be something in Jesus than to trust and obey. But we'll figure that one out when we sing it. Father God, thank you for this great story of Hagar and her trust. But, Father, thank you that you are the God who sees and you are the God who hears. Help us to wait patiently upon you, Lord. And as we don't get answers or as we wonder whether you've forgotten us, Lord, help us to remember that you have made a covenant and you've sealed that covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection and that he says, I will come back the way you have seen me go. And so help us to trust that, Lord, and to be patiently waiting upon you. And we pray this in his name. Amen.